The Old Testament reading is Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 14. Isaiah 7, 10 through 14. And this is the infallible and the inerrant word of God. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But, I, but Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And our New Testament text and our sermon text this morning is the fulfillment of this prophecy of the virgin giving birth. And uh, we read of that in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God." And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. During this Advent season, we have been considering uh, the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ from the perspective of the truth that God is triune. That is, he is a trinity, one God in three persons, uh, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so first we considered the incarnation from the perspective of God the Father, and that is that uh, the birth of Jesus is uh, a gift of the Father's love to the world. God gave his Son to the world, uh, that through him we might be saved. Uh, Then, last week, we considered uh, the incarnation from the perspective of God the Son, that uh, Jesus Christ is the incarnation of the uh, everlasting, the eternally begotten, the eternally divine Son of God. And this morning, we'll look at the incarnation from the perspective of God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and that is that the birth of Jesus was the result of his being conceived 
by the Holy Spirit. As uh, our shorter catechism puts it, uh, Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her yet without sin. In our passage from uh, Luke's gospel, Luke tells us of uh, this story of the incarnation or the, uh, the birth of Christ, uh, really of the conception uh, of Jesus. And this uh, story uh, begins in a little village called Nazareth in an obscure uh, region called Galilee in uh, first century Palestine. And uh, here is a young Jewish girl, uh, probably, or, or it's, it's likely at least, that she was no more than 13 or 14 years old. And there's nothing especially remarkable about uh, this girl, Mary. Uh, we don't know a lot about her background, but she seems to have come from a very ordinary Jewish family. Uh, she is betrothed. That is, she is pledged to be married uh, to Joseph. Uh, but they have not yet been married, and therefore they have not yet uh, come together as husband and wife, and so uh, she is a virgin. And the angel who came to Mary uh, was the angel Gabriel, and he was sent uh, from heaven by God, and he came with a most incredible message, and that is this, that uh, Mary, this girl, uh, that she would be the mother of the one whom God had promised throughout the centuries to his people, the one whom he would raise up to be the ruler of Israel and to be the savior of Israel. In other words, Gabriel announced to Mary that she would be the mother of none other but the Messiah, the Christ, uh, the savior of the people of God. Now, all of that is incredible enough. Uh, but the thing that seemed to capture Mary's attention most of all was this. The fact that the angel made this promise to her, although she was a virgin. And so in response to this angelic announcement that she would be the mother of the Christ, uh, Mary responds to the angel with a very, you could say, down-to-earth, personal, very practical question. And that is this in verse 34. She says, how will this be? Since I am a virgin. Gabriel, what you are telling me is amazing. It is incredible news that my son will be called the son of the Most High, that he will be king forever and ever. But I'm just wondering about one little thing. Given my circumstances, given the fact that I'm not married yet, how is it that I will become pregnant with this child? I don't know if Gabriel was prepared for that question or not, but he certainly had an answer for her. And that answer was in verse 35. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Gabriel says to Mary, you've asked an excellent question, but here's your answer. You will not conceive this child by natural means, but this child will be conceived in you by the powerful and mysterious work of the Spirit of God. And this truth uh, that Jesus was conceived, not by the natural union of a man and a woman, but that he was conceived in the womb of a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a truth that has at least two extremely important implications for understanding the character and the identity of Jesus. First of all, it means that Jesus was sinless from the very point of conception. From the very beginning of his existence as man, 
Jesus was without sin. If you had grown up in colonial America, when you were a child, you you would have very likely learned a little rhyme at school when you were being taught uh, the letters of the alphabet. And the rhyme was meant to help you remember the letter A, and the rhyme went like this. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. It's a catchy rhyme, but it expresses a very profound biblical truth, and that is that every single human being, every one of us, are guilty of the, ad, of the sin of Adam. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. It is, a, it is as though each and every one of us ourselves committed that first sin that Adam committed. That guilt of his sin belongs to us. And this truth is taught in Scripture very clearly. Romans 5.19 says, by the one man's disobedience, the many, and in the context, the many there means all, all people, by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. And we were made sinners, or we became sinners, not after we were born and grew up and grew old enough to knowingly and willingly commit a sin, but we have been sinful, we have been sinners from the very moment of our existence, from the very moment of our conception. We are born sinners because Adam was our representative, the representative that God had given us when he sinned. We all became guilty of sin. We all became corrupted and polluted by the presence of sin within us. And so we have inherited from Adam and Eve a bad heart and a bad heart can only bring forth bad fruits, the fruits of sin and disobedience. Uh, What David in Psalm 51, what he declared concerning himself is true for each and every one of us. We can all say with David, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. And so ever since Adam and Eve, there it is impossible that anyone descended from them could ever be born without sin or could ever not be a sinner. Uh, When Corey and Bianca, when they brought their little a girl, Alana, up here for baptism. Uh, they made vows uh, before us, before God, that they would uh, raise uh, Alana in uh, the nurture, the admonition of the Lord Jesus. And in one of those vows, uh, they acknowledged uh, this truth, and that is this, that our children are conceived and born in sin and therefore are subject to condemnation. Now, as adorable as precious, as cute as little Alana is. And even though as a baby she has not knowingly or willingly committed any particular sins, nevertheless, the truth is she is a sinner. She has descended from Adam and Eve just as you and me, and therefore she is a sinner. As the years go by, I'm I'm sure, and Alana grows up, I'm sure Corey and Bianca will be able to verify this for us. Uh, But... Uh, She is, like all of us, born in this way. Uh, By the way, I'm glad Alana can't understand what I'm saying. Uh, She'd probably probably think I'm a pretty horrible pastor. Here it is, Christmas Day, the day of her baptism, and I'm picking on her, making an example of her. But this is true for all of us. Each and every one of us is born with a sinful nature. And this is something that we share in common with one another. This is 
a profoundly uh, democratic, with a small d, democratic truth that we have all, all of us have this in common, uh, regardless of our ethnicity or our education, our social standing, our, uh, our wealth, our influence, regardless of any of these things, in the most fundamental way, we are all equals with, with one another, and that is, in the eyes of God, we are spiritually and morally corrupt by nature. What that vow said uh, is true for all of us. We are conceived and born in sin and therefore subject to condemnation. Romans 3.23, for all, for all have sinned, no exceptions, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So every single human being descended from Adam and Eve is born a sinner and therefore sins. But there is one exception. There is one exception to that rule. And that is Jesus. The angel said to Mary in verse 35, he said, therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. He will be called holy. Jesus, the Son of God, who became man, he was just as human as you and me in every way except for one, and that is he was without sin. Because he was holy, he was able then, as our Savior, to offer himself a sacrifice to atone for our sins. And Jesus was without sin. Why? Because he was conceived by the Spirit of God. He was conceived by the Spirit of God, and therefore he is holy. A Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit, has given us a holy Savior. So first of all, the fact that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit means that he was without sin from the moment of his conception. He was and is perfectly holy, and therefore he can be a sacrifice for us to take away our sin. Secondly, the fact that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit means that he is true God as well as true man. After Gabriel told Mary that the child to be born to her would be called holy, he expanded on that and said that he will be the son of God. Again, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And so the father of Jesus was not Joseph, but the father of Jesus was God himself. Uh, later in chapter 3, when Luke, uh, uh, when he gives us the genealogy of Jesus, he begins it this way in Luke 3.23. Uh, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, and then parentheses, as was supposed of Joseph. He was the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. As far as anyone could tell, from all appearances, Jesus was the son of Joseph. But he really wasn't the son of Joseph. The true father of Jesus was God, God the Father. And Jesus, as the incarnation of the Son of God, and we saw this last week, from all eternity, he has always been the son of his father. But what was new in the incarnation was that this eternally begotten Son of God, he took upon himself a human body. He took upon himself a human nature. He became true man, and yet he continued to be true God. He never ceased to be God. Even at the moment of his conception, 
He was true God in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And so although Mary may not have understood it at the time when Gabriel called her soon to be conceived child, the son of God, it meant nothing less than this, than, than she would carry in her womb. The son of God, God himself in human flesh, she would give birth to God, the son, as as a child, as Jesus. This is a truth that we could spend a long time meditating upon and considering. I don't think the wonder of it would ever go away that almighty God, who is infinite in being, eternal, all powerful, almighty, who is a most pure spirit, that he became man. And not just man, but he was conceived as a child, as a baby in the womb of his mother, Mary. But the fact that Jesus was was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, it means two things then. First of all, he was born as a human being without sin. He was holy. Secondly, he was born as the incarnation of God himself. And what these two things together means is that Jesus is a perfect savior. He is the one who can deliver us from sin and death. And this is why we celebrate the birth of Jesus. This is why we rejoice in the incarnation of Christ, because he is the one and only one who could save us from our sins. He is the one and only hope for us, for our world, for salvation, for forgiveness, for eternal life. And so let me ask you this question on this Christmas day as we celebrate the birth of Christ. Are you celebrating the birth of Jesus as your savior is he your savior have you come to him by faith and submitted to him as your lord and the one who can deliver you from sin and guilt and death forever now the work of the holy spirit in the life of jesus did not stop with his conception in the womb of mary Uh, when jesus was baptized by john the holy spirit came down upon him from heaven in the form of a dove And so Jesus was anointed by the Spirit, just as the prophets had uh, foretold. And with this anointing of the Spirit, then Jesus was able to fulfill uh, the promises of Isaiah, the prophets. He would proclaim good news to the poor and liberty to the captives. He would give sight to the blind. He would set free those who are oppressed. And so Jesus carried out his entire ministry as one who was empowered and filled beyond measure with the Spirit of God. And The book of Hebrews tells us that at his death on the cross, it was through the eternal spirit that Christ offered himself without blemish to God. And it was also by the spirit that Jesus was raised from death to life. He was raised by the power of the spirit. First Peter 3.18 says that Christ was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And so the Holy Spirit whom the baby Uh, by whom the baby Jesus was conceived was the same spirit who anointed Jesus for his ministry. It was the same spirit who sustained Jesus throughout his ministry and all of his temptations and trials. It was the same spirit through whom Jesus offered himself upon the cross as a sacrifice to take away the sin of the world. And it was the same spirit by whom God raised Jesus from death to life. And so the entire work of Jesus as our Savior was done by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit from conception to resurrection. 
And as we read on in the scriptures, as we read what God does through Christ, as Christ pours out his spirit upon the church and as the resurrected and exalted Jesus Christ through the spirit, through the church, we read of the miracles, the works that he does in order to establish his kingdom on earth, doing amazing works and bringing multitudes of people, both Jew and Gentile, into the church. And so the spirit of God was not only the one who empowered and filled Jesus in order to in order to accomplish our salvation. But he is the one whom Jesus has given to the church. And by him, Jesus builds up his church. And of course, we read of these amazing, miraculous things that the spirit did in the, in the early church. And when we read these things, sometimes we wonder, does God still do these kind of miracles today? Now, certainly we don't see the same kind of miracles that uh, the spirit of Christ did in the, in the early church that we read about in the book of Acts. Um, you could make the case, of course, that there is something, uh, you know, speaking of being conceived in the womb, there is something near miraculous about the conception of, of any child in the womb of his mother. That whereas before there was not a distinct human life at the moment of conception, there comes to existence a distinct individual human being. That is a mere miracle, if not a miracle. And yet that is still a natural process. But is there still miracles today? Does God still, by his spirit, do the same kind of wondrous things that we read about in the scripture? Well, there is a true miracle a genuinely supernatural act of God that does take place in the world today and on a regular basis, and that is this. That is in the rebirth or regeneration of a sinner. There is a true miracle every time a sinner is born again, and it's a miracle that is almost as incredible as the miracle of the conception of Jesus by the Spirit in the womb of Mary. And that's because it is a Work of the Spirit is a spiritual rebirth, a spiritual regeneration. It is a work of God's Spirit every time he brings a sinner from death to life. This is the time of year when we hear about uh, the the so-called Christmas spirit. Uh, Of course, of so many Christmas movies, it's all about the Christmas spirit. Apparently, the Christmas spirit, as much as we can define it, uh, is supposed to make people nicer, uh, supposed to make people want to give to others and um, make us better people. Uh, at least, I suppose, until December 26th. Uh, then the Christmas spirit goes back to wherever it came from and we go back to our usual petty and selfish ways. Uh, so much for the Christmas spirit. But the true Christmas spirit is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does something in us far far more profound, far greater than to make us a little better people, a little nicer, or to make us a little less unselfish or a little less selfish. And that is, he gives us new birth. He causes us to be born again. Now, all of us are born once. We are all born of our mother. There's no one here who was not born of his or her mother, just as Jesus was born of Mary. But those who have come to know Christ have been born of the Spirit. And there is no other way to salvation than to be born again. 
Jesus said to Nicodemus in, G in uh, John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And what does this new birth mean? It means new life. When you read the scriptures and you survey uh, the work of the Spirit, the Spirit is all about creating life, even where there is death or no life. For example, at the creation, in Genesis chapter 1, we read of the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. And what's implied by that is that at the creation, it was through the Spirit that God brought life from the earth where there was no life. When the prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the valley of dry bones and they came to life by the power of the Spirit, the Lord told Ezekiel in the same way he would give the Spirit to the people of Israel and he would bring them from spiritual death to spiritual life. And now here in the conception of Jesus, the Spirit overshadows the virgin and causes her to conceive the child Jesus in her womb. He, he creates uh, in this way, he creates life in her womb. And when the Spirit works in the heart of a human being who is dead and sins and trespasses, he brings out of that death new life. And so the work of the Spirit is the rebirth of a sinner. It is a radical transformation. It is nothing less than death. It is nothing less than life from death. It is a resurrection. And if your hope is in Jesus Christ, this is what God has done for you. He has given you new life. You have been born again. And just as Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, so if you are a believer in Christ, you have been born of the same Spirit. The very same Spirit that caused Jesus to be conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary is the Spirit that has brought you from death to life, that has caused you to be born again to this living hope. Now you can put it this way, that Jesus was conceived by the Spirit, that we might be reborn by the Spirit. Um, that's basically what we sing in our Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Uh, Jesus taught us that there is more joy in heaven uh, over one sinner who repents, that there is, there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And because repentance and, and faith, which always accompanies repentance, because these are the results of regeneration, new birth, uh, we could say that there is joy in heaven whenever God's spirit causes a sinner to be born again, that causes heaven to rejoice. And so as we on earth, as we rejoice in the birth of Christ, the eternal son of God, our rejoicing in this gift of God, the birth of Christ, this is answered in heaven by the joy of the angels in the rebirth of every child of God. And so for both, both the birth of Christ and the rebirth of the Christian, we give thanks to the second person of the Trinity, to the Holy Spirit, who does this wondrous work for us. Let's pray.